here is what you need to know about Columbia's decline in enrollment. Then, hear about a restaurant who received funding when it needed it the most. And finally, kick back and relax with imagery taken by the Chronicle's photojournalists. This is Chronicle Headlines. I'm your host, Paige Barnes. When the coronavirus pandemic pushed Columbia and many other Chicago universities to move in-person classes online, many eye-rolled at the idea of staring at their screen for three hours. Others decided to skip online classes altogether. I'm here with staff reporter Amina Sergazina, who is here to talk about how Columbia's enrollment numbers have been affected due to the coronavirus pandemic. Hi, Amina. Hi, Paige. So to start off, can you tell me from the data that you have, where does Columbia stand compared to last spring? Uh, well, I talked to Michael Joseph and he told me about that the data of enrollment declined 5% from last spring. Uh, but also they saw a decline this fall, which was, was 2%. I see. And what is Columbia's typical enrollment decline from either like the fall to spring semester? Uh, I was told that usually it's like 600, 650 people. Uh, for the spring, like going from the fall to the spring. But this year it expected to be a little worse, about like 100 or 200 people more. I see. And then on, so that's on average before the pandemic, like any other normal year, I would say, that's the typical enrollment decline. Yes, that, that's like year to year would be about 600 students every year. Um, I see, I see. Are these statistics concerning? Uh, well, personally, uh, I'm not sure, but when I was speaking uh, to like uh, staff members and Michael Joseph again, uh, let's start with him. Michael Joseph sounded uh, like they were not that worried because uh, Columbia predicted this uh, when the whole lockdown started in May last year and um, they kind of knew they would see shortages. And he also told me that shortages uh, like worldwide in universities, uh, some universities have it like even worse. Like he mentioned some universities have like 10, 13% decline I and see. that we have it like, okay. Uh, and so that traveling for admission was cut down to, you know, accommodate this price. And I also spoke to faculties who were concerned about it because, you know, they work for this college, they care about it. and they were just worried about it in general. Mm, I see. And to, to confirm for our readers so they know, who is Michael Joseph and how, who is he um, in terms of like the college? Uh, so he's vice president of that mission. Okay, got it. Is there anything else that Joseph said about enrollment that we should know about? Not anything in particular. He sounded uh, like he was not worried to me, to be honest, and that it's like normal. The, the way the way he was repeating to me all the time was that uh, it's just a little bit worse than the last year and that they expect to bounce back in the fall and that it's not that big of a deal. I see, I see. From the sources that you've talked to, what were their reasons or reasoning for deferring and or transferring schools? Uh, well, I talked to a few sources, um, uh, 
two of them, they uh, one of them dropped out and the uh, other transferred for the same reason, because when the classes started online, uh, they expected the cost of it to drop down, uh, but it didn't. Uh, and they were very, you know, uh, saddened about it because they could not afford it anymore. Uh, and one had to transfer just for one year, he plans to return. Uh, and the other one just dropped out completely because he said it's, um, you know, not worth it because he cannot use the equipment and cannot be in the building. Uh, and the third person actually had nothing to do with Columbia. They just um, went to a university in the UK, even though remotely, because, because of racism in the United States that they experienced and they uh, wanted to be in a different culture. I see, I see. And many of these, um, what is it? Many of the, the sales pitch for people coming to Columbia is those hands-on resources like the um, media production center or getting to use the fashion facilities or even like the radio station. See listeners, we are recording this podcast via Zoom right now. So what you're listening, mm-hmm. we are at home, comfortable. So I understand that. And the last thing that I wanted to know is, is Columbia doing anything to bring these numbers back up? Uh, well, I've been told that spring is like the busiest time for colleges because they start recruiting, you know, high schoolers and that um, 25% of enrollment is um, from people who like apply and they like actively work for those people. Like they reach out to them uh, they're trying to make them apply and uh, actually, you know, choose Columbia. But um, they also are working on uh, talking to people who dropped out, but not transferred because if they transferred, they're not really reaching out to them anymore, as I was told. Uh, but they're using the same tactic uh, of um, recruiting them all over again. Uh, so I'm not sure how that's working. I got it. Thank you so much. And the last thing that I want to share with our readers that I don't think was um, that was shared is, you know, in the fall of 2019, Columbia experienced a nearly 2% increase in enrollment um, since 2008. So since 2008, it's been going down. But this past, or I guess two years, um, this past fall, uh, we had a 2% increase. And so once the pandemic hit, enrollment dropped, as you said, Amina, about 2.5% during the fall 2020 semester. Um, so I guess uh, one can only hope that once this pandemic was is is handled that um, or under control, let's say, um, that enrollment goes up. Definitely. Thank you so much. To read the full story, you can go to columbiachronicle.com. Now to a story about Chicago's self-described first and only Costa Rican restaurant that received mass social media attention after posting a YouTube video as a plea for help. Here to talk about Irazu Costa Rican Dining is Chronicle photojournalist Kaylee Slack. Hey Kaylee, how are you? Hi Paige, I'm good, how are you? Oh, I'm so excited to hear about this story. I made sure that I ate before I heard about food. Yeah. (laughs) I know, right? I had to too. Can you tell me more about why Arazu is so special to the community? 
Yeah, so like you said, um, it's their self-described first and only Costa Rican restaurant in Chicago. It's been around for over 30 years, so it's a really big community staple. Um, it used to be, before the pandemic, it was a really busy, um, big hangout spot. Um, Miriam Serdas, who was the first generation owner, she actually moved to Chicago in the 70s. And then in 1990, she and her husband opened the restaurant. And it's just been a big family owned business ever since. I see. So who owns it now? So now um, Miriam's son, Henry Serdas, he owns the restaurant. Oh, okay. Got you. And where is this restaurant located? So the restaurant is in Bucktown. It's at 1865 North Milwaukee Avenue. Okay, so not too far from the Columbia community. And the story that we're we're talking about is how Arazu applied for the Barstool Fund um, for financial assistance. So just to give our readers a perspective, what is the Barstool Fund? So the Barstool Fund was created by Dave Portnoy and he is the founder of Barstool Sports. So it's just an off range of that. And basically he created the fund during the pandemic to help small business owners get a little bit of assistance and help. He's raised more than $27 million so far and he's received a lot of contributions from notable names like um, Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, Kid Rock and Elon Musk have all donated. Oh my gosh, that is very impressive. And so what is the process for applying for this Barstool Fund? I guess I'm asking what did um, Arazu do to apply? Yeah, so Henry Serdas um, filled out the application and part of the application was to create a video explaining um, their situation and how the pandemic has impacted them. So he created a YouTube video, sent it in for his application, and then they also posted that YouTube video on their Facebook and other social medias. I got it, got it. And how much money did the restaurant receive? So Henry Serdas did not disclose to me how much money they were given, but the New York Post did a study about it. Um, And small business owners usually request anywhere between $3,000 to $50,000. So most likely somewhere in there. Mm. And did he say where the money will go? Yes, he did. He said that um, some of the money will go to promotion and advertising to keep his staff on payroll Um, tax property relief, basically just to help keep the restaurant afloat. Mm -hmm. And how did Serdas um, learn that he was selected? So this is actually so cool. He applied for the Barstool Fund on Monday, January 11th. He submitted his application in the morning. And then at around noon that day, he got um, an email from one of the workers at the Barstool Fund asking him for his FaceTime availability during the day. Oh, wow. And so he told me he was thinking, why would they want my FaceTime availability unless I didn't get it? Um, And so then later that afternoon, Dave Portnoy uh, FaceTimed Henry and awarded him the fund. And you can actually see that video. It's on um, their Twitter. Oh, got you. And did you, have you watched the video? Yeah, it's really cool. It's, it's exciting. And what, so who's in the video? What's, what, who's saying what? Yeah. So in the FaceTime video, it's just between Dave and Henry and Dave's explaining that, you know, we're really happy to help you out. In the, the original application video, Henry is at the restaurant talking about how they've been struggling during the pandemic and how they want to keep his mom's American dream alive. Um, And then at the end of the video, there's a 30 second clip of Henry's mom, Miriam, back home in Costa Rica, appealing to Barstool as well. 
Got you. That's really, really wholesome. And did the did the community know that Irazu was struggling before this video came out? I don't believe that they did because before this video, Henry had told me that they hadn't asked for any kind of aid. They hadn't asked for governmental assistance, hadn't applied for any other grants. Um, but then eventually hours would go by and they just wouldn't have any order. So he finally reached out to Barstool after a customer brought it to his attention in December of 2020. And then after the video came out that they were struggling and needed help, I saw viral tweets and everything from that week. And everyone was just encouraging other people and saying, Irazu is struggling, we need to help them out. And they've had such an influx of orders since then. Uh, Henry has told me that they've even had to shut down their um, web platform server because they can't keep up with all the orders that are coming in. Oh, wow. Wow. That is like a complete change. I guess like the tides have turned for the better. When you were reporting, were you there in person at the restaurant? Yeah, I was. Um, I got to go to the restaurant and normally they're just having, because um, they're just doing um, to-go orders. So they have the little window open and people are waiting outside to get their food and pick it up. But I actually got to go inside and see them cooking the food and see how the office has changed. Um, they've transported one of the, they've transformed one of the dining areas into like a storage unit now and it's Henry's office as well. It was, and as soon as I got there at 1130 in the morning, which is when they open. And as soon as they opened, there was a line out the door of people just waiting to order. It was, it made my heart so happy as soon as I saw it. Yeah, yeah. And for the folks that, you know, are listening to this, but can't see, the photos that you took, which are awesome, by the way, would you be able to explain more? Um, you went into a little bit that there was a line out the door, but what did you capture images of? Thank you. Yeah, so most of the photos that I took were pictures of Henry's staff, um, which is so amazing because most of them have been working there for upwards of 10 years. The, there's two brothers that work there that have both been working there for 12 years. Um, another person who worked for 10 years. Most of his staff are immigrants as well. So I basically just got to stand in the kitchen and photograph them cooking food, um, which was amazing and made me really hungry. Irazu is open for pickup and delivery Wednesday through Saturday from noon to 9 p.m. You can order from its website at irazuchicago.com or by calling 773-252-5687. With more snow expected to hit this weekend and into next week, some are staying inside for the warmth, but not the Columbia Chronicles photojournalists. Here is Camila Forte to talk about relaxing images they took during this week's snowfall. Hi, Camila. Hi, Paige. How are you today? Oh, I'm staying in. It's so cold outside and I'm not <laughs> looking forward to this weekend, but I will say the photo spread that you, along with the multimedia journalist, aka the photojournalist, Wonderful. So the photos taken by y'all depict many different scenes. Can you describe some of the images featured in the photo spread? Absolutely. So for our meditative photo spread, um, we put it together when we were still kind of settling in, moving into Chicago. Uh, so during our training week, some of our photojournalists were still all across the country uh, scattered. They're 
are landscapes from California. There is some wonderful snowy playground scenes from Wisconsin. Um, and of course, my personal favorite, as you know, Paige, there's a lovely photo of a dog frolicking through the snow. <laughs> yes, I like that one a lot. And when you say beaches, that is nothing compared to what is here in Chicago right now. Some of the ice is melting, but again, it's going to freeze over again. So that's going to be very cold. Um, can you tell me about how the idea came about? Sure. I think going into training week, uh, we all know that it's going to be sort of an intense process for everybody getting hired. And we had just come off of a pretty intense week of news. Um, when we were prepping for training, uh, the insurgency at the Capitol had just happened. Um, we were in the middle of the election results officially coming to a close, concluding that um, new strains of coronavirus were popping up all over the place. That's when the news first broke. So I knew that I was certainly overwhelmed and I had an inkling that many people were feeling the same. Uh, so I wanted us to focus our energy on something that was a little bit more calm, a little bit more meditative as the photo spread is called. So I figured that having them take some landscapes that would take their mind off of something, especially as they were prepping to enter the Chronicle and focus on only hard news, would be a good way for them to relax and a good outlet to provide our audience with something other than a lot of the doom and gloom that can be in the news these days. Yeah, and I'm glad you mentioned doom and gloom. I mean, not glad that you mentioned it, but I saw in the headline, doom scrolling. And what is that? Can you explain to our listeners what sure. that is? It's become a pretty common term for a lot of, you know, internet folks, especially a Gen Z to doom scroll is to essentially scroll endlessly through streams of awful, terrible news. Um, and it can be overwhelming, you know, uh, I certainly do it. I'll log on to Twitter and I'll see news of something horrible happening and I'll click on that. I'll click on the responses and I'll see all the negative reactions and it can be definitely very overwhelming. I've read many articles citing how it can have adverse effects on people's mental health, um, especially since we're stuck inside, there's not as many ways to cope, as many outlets for people to discuss the issues that they're having. So to constantly be scrolling through the speed of, of, of negative feedback as much as it's necessary to cover that stuff, of course, um, is overwhelming for everybody, especially um, we being at the front end of what's happening can get really sucked into it. And I think it's important to remember that we're people and remember that those around us are people and sometimes you just need a break. Yeah, well said, well said. You also contributed to the series. What photos did you contribute and why, why those? Of course, um, I contributed a couple of landscapes. I believe I have a lovely little sunset over the marina towers and a, a sun ray peeking out <laughs> from some clouds here in my neighborhood of Edgewater. Um, a lot of it was, that was kind of when I was available to go out and shoot. I did try to time it so that it was a day when the sun was out in Chicago. As you know, that's not a very common occurrence. Um, and I picked those because I think photos for anyone who's ever been involved in photography can be kind of grounding. And whenever I'm particularly upset, I find it comfortable to return to images that are not very simple. Uh, are not very complex, I'm so sorry, um, are kind of simple in themes and, and are serene, you know. Uh, I think a lot of like really cheesy stock photography has those qualities without it being necessarily the best thing in the world, right? Um, so trying to balance quality and simplicity was very important to me. 
Yeah, that makes sense. I will say that you touched upon something that's that's peaceful. And I noticed one of the photos um, by photojournalist Kavon Jack Kavon Jackson, I'm sorry, um, that no one cares heart. It's a graffiti um, tagged on a wall in Chicago's Old Town neighborhood. So how did that, if you can explain the um, reasoning, how did that make it into the photo spread? Sure. I think uh, we all went over our photos together, which we don't usually do. Um, we had a little critique so we could all get to know each other. And uh, his was the only one that had any sort of text or any really city identifiers. Um, there were a couple of the Sears Tower, as you know. But um, I think sometimes when you live in a city, it can be kind of a common thing to see little reminders all over the place. You have stickers on Columbia's campus. Um, and it, it has the same sort of quality where you look at it and you're like, ah, yeah. And, and it makes you laugh a little bit because perhaps it's a little silly, right? Um, so I thought it would be nice to include a reminder that, you know, no one puts as much pressure on, your, on you as you do on yourself and no one cares. So. Yeah, yeah. You know, I wish that every morning before I check the news that I get to see a photo spread of relaxing and peaceful photos. So I'm, I'm holding y'all to this, that I need more. I need more. Um, and speaking of more, is there, are there plans for um, another collaboration like this um, with the photo journalists? Sure. Uh, we do spreads all the time, as you know, usually they're more news focused, but we do fun things. Uh, I think it just kind of depends on what we need that week and an audience response, right? We did a very pandemic Christmas last semester. Mm -hmm. um, we've done the voter portrait series. So we're always trying to um, work with each other as much as possible, especially during this time where we can all feel a little bit disconnected because we're out of the office. Yeah, yeah. I look forward to seeing more photos by y'all. You can check them out on the Columbia Chronicle website, which is columbiachronicle.com. Thank you so much, Cam, for being here. Thank you, Paige, for having me. Thank you for tuning in to this week's edition of Chronicle Headlines. You can check out these stories and more at ColumbiaChronicle.com. For additional coverage, you can find us on social media at CC Chronicle on Instagram and Twitter. Chronicle Headlines is made possible by a collaboration with the staff of the Columbia Chronicle and WCRX-FM, Chicago's Underground, under the leadership of the Communication Department at Columbia College, Chicago. Until next time, I'm your host, Paige Barnes.